Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 118. You've got Chris and Brian. And this time around, we're going to talk about the difference between going shooting, um, going to practice, going to train, and then shooting competitions. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, to describe all this, um, if you're going shooting, uh, we're going to define that as going to the farm or going to the range. You put all the guns on the table. Um, maybe you have a mag loaded up for each one. Maybe you don't. Can I pick it up? You shoot some rounds at the target. Maybe you score the target or pace the target or keep track of what you're doing. Or maybe you don't. Um, you put that the, put the first gun down when you're done with it. Hopefully it's all cleared to open like it should be. Pick up the next one. Um, repeat ad nauseum. Uh, by the time you go home, you probably haven't learned a whole lot. Yeah, and you you know we we generally refer to that as masturbating with ammo. It's fun, but you're not getting any actual work done. Um, and there's nothing wrong with recreationally going to the farm or going to the property or going wherever and running through a bunch of ammo and having some fun with the guns. I mean, there you know there is a, an aspect of firearms ownership for which that's completely cool. Um, right now, hearing everybody complain about ammo prices, and those are very real and legitimate complaints um, and concerns, ammo prices and ammo availability, um, going, going to the farm and blowing through some ammo right now, I, I won't say it's foolish because it's your money and it's your ammo. So if it's a recreational endeavor and you have that kind of discretionary income or discretionary quantities available of ammo, um, we'll come play too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. And and the other thing too, there there is a purpose for going to going to the farm and and having and laying out twenty guns on the table. It might actually be bringing some new folks into the fold who've never shot a gun before. They get exposure to the to the hobby, to the not maybe the sport of it or the hobby of it, um, to the recreational aspect of it, and they get to pick up a bunch of different toys and say, "Oh, well, I really like this or I really like that." Um, if you're that new shooter, or if you're the person bringing that new shooter out to go do this, maybe tell them, "Hey, if you really enjoyed shooting that gun." Grab your cell phone and take a picture of that gun, not for the gram, but for your records. So when you do walk into the gun store down the road, you can say, my buddy has one of these, and I shot it, and I'd like to see about maybe getting one of those or something similar or something like that. So, you know, rather rather than, you know, poke fun or whatever, let's find purpose in it. Um, and so at that stage of the game, you know, if it's recreation, that's awesome and good on you for thinking ahead and, and either padding your finances and being smart about saving your pennies and becoming wealthy enough to just blow through ammo, or good on you for having bought enough ammo to be able to just go blow, blow through ammo and play with it. And if the intent is to bring new folks into the fold and let them play with it, then that's awesome too. Um, but you, but bear in mind, that's not really, you're not training and you're probably not really even practicing. You're yeah. just going on having fun. Um, but Again, not not a not a fruitless or necessarily wasteful endeavor necessarily on its face. Um, just depends on how you utilize it, and maybe it is just again, maybe it's just masturbating with ammo, having a good old time. No big deal. That's your call. Yeah. So, but that's going to the farm. That's not practice. Definitely that's not, not training. training. Yep. Um, and and unless it's like for beers later, whoever wins later has to, or whoever loses later has to buy the beers, Um, you know, sure, that's cool. At least you're adding something to it at that point as well. So a little bit of gamesmanship, a little bit of competition always makes things fun too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, To get into practice, uh, practice is how we make things permanent. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say it's how we make things perfect because if you don't know what you're doing, you're not making it perfect. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's always been conversations around perfect practice 
is is good practice and that's what leads to performance um, if if you are doing stuff based on YouTube videos you saw um, you know if you're doing stuff based on techniques for which you have no concept of the theory behind them um, you may be misapplying a technique or something along those lines as well um, so I would almost say that if we're going in some type of hierarchical order of what you should be doing first is going and getting training and then practicing yeah. that training. So, so if we're going to talk about practice. Let's assume you've had some quality training. So, so should we talk about training and then come back? To either practice? way, yeah, either way. Yeah. So, so, so we look at training. Um, we're talking about learning skills, um, working on skills under tutelage of a skilled, um, either professional instructor or you know it could even be a peer that's yeah. squared away that knows yeah. what they're doing, um, and maybe a peer. Of equal capability that's gone to a class recently and bringing something back, yes. Um, that or you know somebody that can actually you know you're working through solutions to problems um, and you're able to keep eyes on each other and make sure you know proper technique is applied um, that you're not violating any of the four fundamental firearm safety rules. Yeah. Um, you know the good um, good gun handling is always in effect. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and you know, we, we kind of, you know, we talk about this a little bit in, in the store from a gun handling perspective. We often hand people our business cards, which have the four rules printed on the back. But we talk about firearms handling outside of recreational use. You still need to follow those rules recreationally on the farm playing. But when you go into a training environment, you know, we definitely, that, that's where it becomes a martial art. That's where, you know, guys talk about katas and stuff like that. I, you know, every, the, what's, what's the saying? Every time you grab a, a Musashi, every time you draw your sword, draw it as if you're going to cleave a man in half, you know, kind of thing. That's a little gross. Um, but it's a good way to end the fight, curiously enough, kind of like headshots. Um, so, you know, every time you grab your gun, handle your gun as if it is loaded all the time, no matter what. Treat all guns like they're loaded until you've gone through some inner confirmation and safetying of that weapon to use in other environments. That's a whole other conversation. But the reality check is, like Brian's saying, get training from somebody who's competent um somebody who knows more about guns than you or has owned guns longer than you or owns more guns than you um may not necessarily be competent um especially in a training environment that person may or may not be squared away and capable of teaching you um and and, and i'm going to get in trouble for this but here we go I was in the army is not competent to train other people necessarily. Um, it's also not a disqualifier to train other people. Um, obviously, there have been some extremely competent folks who have served in the military at different levels um, and maybe not even in a combat arms capacity, but then left and went and got training elsewhere. Um, just because somebody served in the military does not mean that that person is necessarily competent at arms. Um, I was in the Air Force, in the Air Guard, and we qualified once a year with, you know, 40 or 50 rounds of 223 on a 40 or 50-yard target, and, that, and that, that, that was it. That was your competency. Most police agencies, same conversation around, um, you know, oh, well, my brother-in-law's a police officer. Um, okay, cool. So that means he's got basically 40 hours of, of initial training on his duty weapon, his or her duty weapon, um, and maybe an additional 20 hours of training on ancillary weapons. Uh, maybe ARs, maybe uh, shotguns, whatever that kind of thing, does not mean they're competent to train other people. Uh, and and from what we see in general, it, it may not necessarily mean they're competent to do what they're supposed to do anyway. I mean, I get that you know a gunfight's a dynamic thing, but when you look at national averages across the country being 
less than 20% hits on target of shots fired, um, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who could probably stand to brush up on their competencies because guys who do train on a regular basis, guys are from departments that are progressive and train on a regular basis, guys that compete outside of work on a regular basis generally score way over 50% on the shots fired. And then sometimes we're seeing numbers as high as 80 and 90% of shots fired. So make sure the person that's training you is definitely competent. Sorry to belabor that point. Um, but we see a lot of, oh yeah, we're going to go train who's training who and who actually has the knowledge and who has the theory, understands the theory behind it to know why you're doing what you're doing. That's what makes it training. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to add that, that training should be recent and relevant. Um, and you want to have, call it techniques and things from at least this uh, millennium. Yeah. If not, you know, this decade, uh, like maybe the trailing five years. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I would um, say that there's yeah, some if, fundamentals that go way back. But obviously, yeah, if we're going to get into um, tactics and things of that nature, we've been in we've been at war for twenty freaking years. What we did in World War II and the Nam aren't necessarily what we're doing now. Yeah, and what we know about interpersonal gunfights between people outside of a military and law enforcement environment has also changed dramatically because over the last ten or twenty years, we have a boatload of video evidence of actual gunfights or fights, encounters, et cetera, that we've got, you know, there, there's not necessarily, you know, like, oh, everything's changed, but there are some things we know now that we, we don't do the same things now that we would have done 20 or 30 years ago, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, not, not to say that, you know, guns, uh, was it, gun sight is out of date, uh, but when you haven't changed your curriculum in 40 years, yeah. um, it's maybe not as... It's not as up to date as it could be. It's not as up to date as it could be. I mean, it's just that simple. We, you know, we have cars now with anti-lock brakes. Um, you know, we have cars now with navigation systems. We have cars now with uh, collision avoidance systems. We have cars with a well, lot. Let's, of, let's just go back you to know. you know to ABS and cars. If you're braking, like you had drum brakes in the '60s with ABS, you're probably going to crash into something. Exactly, because it's not going to react well. Because there's a better way. So yeah, and so you know, bear those things in mind. And I, and I don't want to pick on the Southwest Museum of Gunfighting. Um, they've been doing it for a long time, um, and, and again, they're pushing good fundamentals. But when you start getting into the actual tactics, um, it, it think you know we we know some better ways to do things, and maybe they've changed, maybe they've updated, and we just haven't heard about it um, because they kind of they kind of eliminated their own relevancy by saying we'll we'll change our curriculum and we have an empty seat in the class. Um, you know, there's a little bit of arrogance there, yeah. which is not always a good thing. So yeah, cool. Um, does that beat on? training enough yeah i think so so having you know to get things kind of in line you know getting training before you go out and practice well practice Um, what you were taught in the training Uh, i would add to don't try to practice up before you take your training class or before you go take a training class yeah Uh, some of the the best shooters i've seen come out of you know two and four day handgun classes um, was not the guy that went in the class having shot, you know, 20,000 rounds in the last two years. Why is that? But it was the person who never shot the gun before they went to class. Why? Because they didn't have all kinds of bad habits to unlearn. Bingo, bingo, yeah. Um, and, and we see that a lot, and, and I see that a lot in myself. I mean, every once in a while, you'll start developing, you'll start greasing the wrong groove, um, and you find yourself going, what, you know, what, why, why am I doing that? Um, uh, and, and so, you know, having to unlearn bad habits is significant and then relearn the correct habit is significantly more tiresome, more strokes required, more practice required, more time required, more energy required, more resources required 
than just being not having any bad habits and being taught the proper way to do it. Um, you know, so there's a little bit of a a I'm not going to tell somebody not to do something. I'm going to tell them what I want them to do so that we don't put the bad habit bug in their ear kind of thing. Yeah. That mentality. So, yeah. Um, and again, the training training can be with a peer. You just need to vet that peer. Um, that family member, that neighbor, that whoever's helping you out, I, there was air quotes around that help, um, whoever's helping you out, you just need to vet that person just because they're ahead of you doesn't necessarily mean what they're teaching you is right, correct, current, recent, relevant, or anything else. So, you know, vet, vet, vet that part of the conversation. And there'll be some ego there, I promise you, especially if that person is not really qualified to be training somebody they're almost guaranteed there'll be some ego there. You will get the, well, I was in the Army. You know, you'll get that, you know, well, I carry a gun every day. Uh, well, there's a lot of people who carry a gun every day. I wish some of them wouldn't. Um, I wish everyone else that wanted to would, um, yep. but learn how to do it properly, the rights versus responsibilities thing. So, yeah. yeah. So um, To add that, if you're the person taking somebody out to train them, um, realize that this endeavor is not about you, but it's about your student. Yep. Um, and your focus for that day is not showing how good you can shoot, but on getting your student, you know, squared away, um, and coaching them, yeah. um, through learning, you know, the fundamentals or the, the techniques and whatnot that they need to learn. Um, you know, I take people out and train, um, a lot of times I shoot less than 10 rounds in yeah. an afternoon, uh, cause I mean a demo, you know, what I need to demo, a lot of times my demos end up being dry. Sure. Even before all the ammo crunch, um, mainly because it was a lot easier to explain things without big loud noises and things going off. Yep. Um, and I'm trying to break down, you know, very slowly movements and techniques and things, and explaining that as I go, uh, which again, you know, most of the time got done dry. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, you know, watch watch me blaze away really fast and not see anything that I'm actually doing. Exactly, and there and that's that's a big part of it too. Um, I would equate it to teaching two kids to fish that have never gone fishing before. If you pick up your own fishing rod, you're probably not doing it right because two kids will drive you nuts uh, trying to teach them at the same time. So it's that kind of mentality, like Brian said. You can you know you need to, there's certain things you can demonstrate, but most of the time those can be demonstrated dry, uh, and are going to be demonstrated at, in very very slowly. Um, and, and the reality check too is even with an experienced shooter, sometimes breaking things down, we, you know, we call it Barney style, right? Breaking things down Barney style to the nth degree and going slow through it and doing that crawl, walk, run mentality, you know, it's probably a good thing to do at, at a lot of levels, not just the, you know, novice level. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, does that beat on training enough? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. Um, and then heading to practice. Um, so now you've established that foundational, that baseline of knowledge, whether you probably don't have the baseline of skill, that's why you're going to practice. So you're going to take the baseline of theory and the baseline of knowledge that you've, you've now acquired via good, competent training, and you're going to push that into a practice environment where you can go grease that groove and get those reps in, um, and, and really kind of ingrain if it, you know, you call it, I don't care if you call it muscle memory, I don't care if you call it creating neural pathways. I don't care if you, you know, you use the, the, you know, that power lifter mentality, that grease the groove, whatever you want to call it, go do those things over and over and over and over and over again. And ideal, the ideal outcome um, would be what we consider, um, you know, unconscious competence. It would be that do it so many times, practice it so many times perfectly and properly that when it's time to actually use it, you really can't do it wrong because your body's doing it, not necessarily your brain or the, or the, the reptile part of your brain yeah, is doing it. The subconscious part of your yeah. brain is, is making things happen. Exactly. Yeah. And so that that's that's what the practice is all about. 
Um, and, and honestly, the practice is, is, is hard. The training's fun. The training's easy, especially if you have a good, a good instructor that we call it entertainment for a reason. You know, it's not that entertainment, you can't learn something. Um, you can absolutely learn lots and have a good time. Practice is going out and putting the work in. Um, you know, and again, going back to like a weightlifting analogy, somebody doing a clean and jerk is going to do clean and jerks over and over and over again, way off their maximal ability, um, just to get the practice in and get the groove in and find that place and then start piling the weight on ever so often to test their limits or their max out or their PRs, whatever the case may be. It's the same thing with the gun. You should be driving the gun at a significant portion of your capability, but not at the top end over and over and over again, and then occasionally testing to see where your top end, and you will find that your top end keeps getting better and better and better the more you practice it. Um, and bear in mind, the practice doesn't necessarily need to go bang either, just like the training doesn't necessarily need to go bang all the time either. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anything to add to that? Yeah, uh, when you go to actually practice you know, at the range, um, this is where having access to you know, a proper training facility, like proper training slash practice facility, Yeah. Um, in this case, um, is really important. Um, your average indoor range is really not set up to do this. Um, you can you stand in your little lane and you pick the gun up off the table and pull, line the sights on the target and pull the trigger. If you're working on marksmanship, you can kind of work on that. Um, but beyond that, you're really limited in what you can do. Sure. Um, in this case, you know the property or the farm um, may may work. Um, again, provided you got safe backstops, um, that kind of stuff. Because we can start to get into things like drawing from the holster, yeah. um, potentially moving, you know, setting up barricades to work behind cover, uh, or positional shooting stuff like that. Um, you know, joining a a local gun club or getting into more of a, you know, an outdoor outdoor range where you can actually you know, train and work in things safely um, becomes very important. Yes. Um, so something to keep yeah. in mind there. Yeah, and if you do, you know, if you're looking at joining your local club. Make sure you have a serious conversation there with with somebody uh, around what you're actually allowed to do on your own versus what you're allowed to do in a a class or guided environment. Um, there are some local places that do, you know, the, uh, like IDPA practice nights. Uh, IDPA is fairly dynamic. You're moving from position to position. You're drawing the gun. You're reloading the gun. You're engaging multiple targets from behind cover in some fashion. And so, you know, that's that, you know, so having a conversation with somebody who's going to be in charge of that or somebody who can give you a straight up answer about whether or not you're allowed to do those things or, or how often those opportunities are afforded the members of that organization versus, um, well, you can't let the muzzle go above the backstop and different things like that. And there, and there, understanding there are four rules, um, there may be administrative rules at certain facilities as well that are more limiting than the four rules. Um, you know, under competent usage. And the reason being is a lot of folks can't live within the four rules. So, you know, clubs have to put in some of those rules, you know, lots of additional rules to keep people from shooting the, the neighboring farmer's cattle or equipment um, because not everybody's at the same place and not everybody knows to not outrun their headlights. So understand that and definitely check into that to make sure that you don't join a club and then almost immediately get booted. Um, you know, and when, and when someone at that club and authority tells you, Hey, um, sorry, you're not ready for this yet. Here's what you need to do. You need to go seek this, this manner of competent training, training so that you can come out and practice what it is you've trained with us. Um, you know, and, and don't be that arrogant dude who, because you're in the army, um, goes and has an ND, shoots himself and has to be lifelighted. 
um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's one of those things where you, some people are told no for a reason and have to find out the hard way why that was a no. So, yeah. you know, don't, don't be that guy. Um, the other thing with practice, um, figure out what you're going to do before you get to the range. Yep. Um, be that, you know, figuring out some drills and putting them down in a notebook, assigning, you know, call it number of times you want to go through it, how many rounds you want to spend on it. Yeah. Uh, kind of figure out, you know, what target arrays you need. Um, that kind of stuff uh, makes not only your range time more efficient, but gives you kind of some things to think about on the drive up to the range. Yep. Kind of helps get your mind in the right place so that when it comes time to practice, you can focus on practicing um, versus figuring out what it is you want to practice or need to practice. Um, this is also a good time to review, you know, notes from previous practice or previous training sessions. You know, figuring out what things um, you're good at and you want to keep getting good at, um, what things maybe you're not so good at and yeah. need to spend some additional work on. Um, not, not to say that, you know, a practice session should be devoted fully to refining, you know, skills that aren't quite where they should be. Um, but it is something to not forget to do from time to time. Yeah. And, and having, having that plan, um, forces you to think about like those range safety officer kind of mentality things too. What facility do you have available to do this? What are the limitations of that facility? What things can you actually do versus, oh, get up there and we'll do X, Y, and Z. And then you get up there and the bay you wanted is not open, so you're forced to not do X, Y, and Z. If you've, if you've already got that planned out, you, you have a lot better idea of what you can do in a different bay in case that doesn't work at your way or something along those lines. Or when you show up to your buddy's property, he says it's completely safe to shoot on and find out that really only a small portion of it is completely safe to shoot on. Um, you can make that adaptation if you have a plan in place. And you can figure out what you're going to do, what you're not going, you know, what you don't want to do in that property as well, taking that safety officer mentality. Yeah. So it, especially if you're the guy that's leading the practice session or training a group of other people, maybe perhaps a little less informally than an actual paid class. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh -oh. What was the last one? Competition. Competition, baby. Competition. Uh, yeah. So I think the, the first gun competition probably happened right after the second gun was made yeah uh, historically yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like when did the when did the first auto race happen yeah uh, right after the second car got made mm -hmm. uh in this case yes. we're gonna we're gonna talk about competition as you know multiple shooters keeping score um with both time and or you know accuracy component um organized competitions like uspsa idpa um three gun or multi-gun or two gun i don't know what it's even called anymore yeah 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 um prs which is the long range um type thing and then also stuff like either you know competitive trap shooting or sporting clays um you know there's there's more to competition than just idpa idpa or uspsa going on these days absolutely um, um and, and if you talk to guy i'm going to throw out a couple of examples um, and I wish I could be more specific about this. Um, the, the draw Mohammed conference in Texas, uh, where the bad guy showed up with an AK and the, I don't know if it's a sheriff's deputy or if it was a DPS guy, but on horseback, yeah, on yeah. horseback from a significant distance. I mean, I'm, wasn't it was beyond 50 feet. Oh, way, way, way. Yeah, it was like closer to like 40 yards. Yeah. It was 40 or 50 yards, um, off horseback. Um, made two pretty good hits, uh, and I believe one-handed. 
gives you some control of the horse and control of the reins with his left hand or with his right hand and shooting with the other hand. Yeah. But managed to make, I know I'd have to double check that. But anyway, made two solid hits at distance. Um, my understanding was that cat was a competitive shooter, whether it was bullseye or whatever. Um, there, yeah, well, same thing with the, the church thing down yep, in Texas. Yeah. Um, the, the guy that did that, you know, frequent IDPA, I think it was IDPA. Computer. He's an IDPA guy. He'd also yeah. been a train, like he's an NRA certified trainer. He trained a bunch of people, etc. Um, and my understanding was like the lead security guy, like in charge of the security team for the church. So he was a gun yeah. nerd. He was a guy who was into it. And had done way more training than just his NRA certification. It, yeah. Yeah. Which, which showed, um, nice shot by the way, Tex. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool when he domed that dude. Anyway, um, but you know, there, the, there's, there are, if you talk to old school law enforcement guys, um, a number of shootings and stuff like that with the good guy prevailing, um, a, a lot of time where the good guy settled the conversation, settled the fight, ended the fight with a shot or two. A lot of those dudes were bullseye shooters. They were guys who didn't do anything under time, but boy, they understood us. They really understood side alignment and trigger press and then had the discipline to make that happen. And maybe the environment as well to make that happen. Um, you know, competition shooting, uh, we've, we've got one of our buddies who used to train with us and shoot with us on a regular basis. A few years back, he got into USPSA and pushed himself to a very high level because he's a guy who goes, seeks good training and then practices, keeps metrics, uh, has a timer, has spreadsheets and nerds out on this stuff. Um, well, and did a lot of, a lot of planning when it went time to practice to yes. figure out what things he needed yes. to work on. Methodical, extremely methodical and well thought out about this stuff. Um, he shoots USPSA and we give him crap about it because, you know, that's just what we do. Uh, but anyway, he I, I do I don't want to get in a gunfight with him. I do not want to get in a gunfight with him um, because he's stupid fast and makes stupid good hits and on demand, though. Yeah. On freaking demand. Um, and can do all the other handling stuff like clear malfunction, blah, 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 and all that other BS. Um, you know, so uh, do, do you, do you want to get in a gunfight with Robbie Latham? No. Do you want to get in a gunfight with Jerry Barnhart? No, uh, you know, do you want to get in a gunfight with Todd the butthole? I can't think of his name. Anyway, yeah. um, but anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you don't want to get it. Taron Butler, you know, Taron's chubby, you know. I mean, uh, but uh, and he and but he moves pretty well and shoots like a god. I don't want to get in a gunfight with him. God bless his little heart. Um, I wish he'd let me come play at his his dollhouse. I mean, gun range, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, you know, so the so you're going out and doing these things. There's some IDPA dudes that shoot at an extremely high level and are very very talented guys. Um, I don't want to get in a gunfight with those guys. Um, and the rules are funny. Well, you can only expose half your body. Well, who's exposing half their body in a gunfight? Well, maybe you don't have cover and you got to hide behind a wall of your own lead. Okay, cool. The reality check is these guys are out there putting themselves out there in a higher stress environment than probably a lot of other places you could shoot. And it's hard to simulate a gunfight, but getting your blood pumping, having your buddies around, knowing that there's some pride on the line. And then hearing the mind eraser go off, um, you know, is 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 at least they're doing something. I yeah. used to be really negative about training because you'll create bad habits. You'll blah 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 blah. Competing. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. You, 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 thank you. Yes. God love you. I haven't had enough coffee yet. Apparently. You said mind uh, eraser and the mind get erased. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there's not much there to erase anyway. So, um, but yeah, you know, you get out there in that competition environment, and and it it's you know it's a different level. It's a different level of performance. You're definitely under everyone else's microscope. Um, and and I used to be the guy that would say, you know, well, in competition, you're going to learn bad habits and blah 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 blah. I, I really have come off that a long time ago because um, I see some competitive dudes that take it seriously who train and practice and compete. Um, if you're only doing IDPA at, at your local old boys shooting hole, 
and that's it. That's all you're doing. And, and you're not the number one, two, or three guy, you're probably not doing yourself any favors because you probably are just ingraining bad habits if you're not taking other training and practicing those skills elsewhere. So just bear that in mind. It just depends on how you go about it versus if it's, you know, you do it like it's your job, then that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so to, to kind of bring that a little bit together with the whole thing, uh, I think you can practice you can kind of sometimes take you know competition at least at a local match and combine that into a practice session yes because uh, you're working through various component skills yeah on a you know a standardized test um, yeah. with metrics from other shooters because uh, we're we're recording accuracy and then also a time component yeah um, i would not equate you know going to a match and calling that training uh, yeah i mean again unless unless it's unless it's applicable, unless you make it applicable. I mean, one of the things yeah. I, I always did with IDPA, I used cover and I'd have I'd, every match. I'd but, have somebody. I mean, that's, I would call it more practice. Yeah. Than, than training. Oh, absolutely. No, I totally agree with yeah. that. But I would have guys tell me, you know, if you, you could, you know, if you stick out more of your head, you can see the target better. It's like, uh, yeah, cool. Thank you. And I, and I never got in a, I don't need to educate everybody. That's not my job at a match. I, I'm there to, I'm there to, I'm there to practice and I'm there to have fun. I don't consider it training. Um, but by the same token, I'm going to use it as an opportunity to practice, um, you know, and, and make sure I'm using those skills appropriately. And I was never there to win the match. Um, and when you ended up in, you know, the top third of the pack every time, um, and you were using better techniques, it kind of validates that what you're doing, your fundamentals at least are somewhat squared yeah. away. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on that note, you know, if you're looking at, you know, I've got a hundred rounds a month or 150 rounds a month to go use. How do I use it most effectively? Um, you know, going to shooting a match every once in a while, probably not a bad idea. No, no. And, and if you if you have a significant foundation of training, then that that money might might like you said might be well spent going and using a match as practice. Um, if you don't have any foundational training or very little foundational training, um, maybe saving up that ammo, um, you know, that ammo allocation for maybe uh, right now, maybe even a freaking year. You yeah. might be better off to save up that ammo allocation for a year and push that 1,200 rounds into a two-day class and go and have somebody actually teach you solid fundamentals so that you're not out, again, masturbating with ammo and, and practicing, ingraining bad habits, ingraining negative things that, you're, that are going to have to be untaught, unlearned, etc. Um, you know, that may be a better way to do things right now, especially with things being tight. Yeah. Yeah. Or you... You re you know you change your priorities and reallocate resources to make sure that you're where you need to be, because if the balloon goes up in the next year, that would suck too. So six one up does the other. Yeah, yeah. So cool, um, guys. I, I don't anything else you want to add to that? I mean, I think that kind of gives that hierarchy there, yeah. and maybe you know, ho hopefully you know if if you're not thinking this way, maybe this helps you get your mind right about it. Um, again, especially in today's scarcity of resources um, around ammunition. Um, you know, and potentially, well, you know, who knows what the future is going to bring over the next year or so with Sleepy Joe. Um, you know, tapioca day may become every day. Who knows? I don't know. So it's a little, little concerning. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Go seek uh, good training, you know, practice with intention. Yep. Uh, I think the intention part there, you know, very important. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't learned how to dry fire, uh, strongly recommend it. Um, the very best shooters in the world. Uh, both on the competition side and in the um, go to bad 
places and do bad things to bad people. Yeah. Um, side of the house, um, do a shit ton of dry fire. Yeah. Um, they honestly, a lot of them dry fire like it's their job. Well, we just had a Leo, LEO family in here. They were talking to uh, tactical law enforcement um, family, uh, and and both operate at a at a very high level in this community. And and they and he and she have they have a dry fire room in their house. Um, I don't know what that means. Maybe that's a maybe that means something totally different to them than it does to me. I don't know. Um, but I like to think that it means they're practicing actual dry fire with weapons. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there, God love them. <laughs> Hope you're listening. Um, but anyway, you know who you are. Uh, but yeah, they actually have a dry fire room in their house. Uh, that is freaking commitment and dedication. Um, it's also maybe not having any kids in the house. I'm jealous too. No, I'm not. I actually love my kids. So, cool. Yeah. Um, on that note, uh, please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as long as they let us stick around. Uh, we post both, uh, you know, training ideas and things we come across, um, cool stuff that way, along with um, when we get new inventory into the store, uh, we post it up there first. Um, so follow us. Please follow us on Facebook or Instagram. If you see something you like and you want to have, um, don't hesitate to give us a call at the store with a credit card. We get to get a deposit. Um, and get it squared away that way. Uh, we also do an email newsletter that comes out once a week on Friday. Um, sign up for that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, or drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com, and we will happily add you to the newsletter list. Uh, I've seen lately that perhaps the tech companies are getting a little bit more, call it spam heavy, yeah, or censoring on um, gun store stuff. So you may need to whitelist um, info at capcityoutfitters.com so you actually see it in your inbox. Yep. Um, be aware of that. Uh, on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront at silencershop.com. Uh, so please check out the website. Um, lastly, visit us at the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. Uh, we're right in front of Aldi's. We're directly next to Louis Fusion Grill. Chicken Mavango. Uh, yeah. Sorry. We're running hours um, 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.